0: I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And we're from the Spy Hards Movie Podcast. That's right. And you are listening to Pods Like Us, the podcast that has a license to thrill.
1: Welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Quabell, known to my friends as Marv, and this time I am joined by Agent Scott Hardy and Cam Smith, the provocateur from SpyHards. Thanks for talking to me, guys. Hope you're okay.
0: Yeah, we're doing well. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, hey, Marv, thanks for having us, buddy.
1: That's fine. No problem. It's Great to speak to you. So, how were you introduced to podcasting in the first place, uh, Cam?
0: Oh, boy. um, that, Boy, you're sending me way back. Um, probably around uh, the mid-2000s, I started listening, I think, to Kevin Smith's Smodcast podcast. Yeah. Um, that was when I was in university. And so I suddenly was like, what is a podcast? And I kind of learned through Kevin Smith and then jumped off into some other shows like the Slash Filmcast. And... It was kind of in that point in time where it was like no one really kind of knew how these things worked, but I thought, hey, why don't I try doing something like this? And so I got together with a friend and we launched a movie podcast called The Epicast, um, and that was probably around 2008 because I know we did movies like Taken, um, uh, I know we did Inglorious Bastards. It was a bunch of things around that 2008 to 2010 period, and. It was all just like feeling around in the dark, going through very convoluted measures in terms of how to record these episodes, upload them. It was all a nightmare. But we did it for about two years, very irregularly. Um, So that kind of taught me all the hard to learn lessons that in the years since have been completely ironed out by technology. But yeah, I was, I guess, early in. And at that point, you actually got huge downloads for any show you did because there were so few podcasts out there.
1: (laughs) Completely different to nowadays.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Totally. It was a a really crazy time to be doing it just because, you know, nowadays if you say I have a podcast, everyone goes, yeah, so do I. (laughs) So does my cousin. So does my neighbor. Um, Back then it was like, I'm sorry, a what? Can you please explain to me what you're doing? So,
1: Even some of my family members have said to me when I've been advertising my shows, they said, what's a podcast? Mm, Which is strange to me because they've been going for, must be 15, 16 years, I suppose now. Hmm. so what about yourself Scott how were you introduced to uh, podcast what's a podcast <laughs> <laughs>
0: Scott thought this was AM radio
1: <laughs> good evening um, this is talk radio
2: <sighs> I think I'd be great at talk radio but yes. uh, that's, that's another universe I think um, I I couldn't give you a date like Cam I used to be a big listener of wrestling podcasts yep and just sort of regular news updates, daily podcasts, things like that. Uh, Wade Keller, uh, was one of the, him and his team was one of the people who actually originated kind of the idea. And one of the first major podcasts was, was Wade Keller, um, PWT. Um, and I sort of listened to them for a long time. And then I found shows like, uh, no such thing as a fish, um, Brett Everett's movies to watch before you die. I think it was called, maybe watched that, listened to that for a while. Um, and that, that was it, really. Didn't really expand out of that for a long time. And then, uh, then I met Cam. Hmm.
1: And everything changed there.
0: It did, because I had done a Star Trek podcast that I'd launched in 2014 called Subspace Transmissions for many years. And yeah. uh, I'd known Scott since, I guess, what, 2013, Scott? I thought it was like 2011. No, it would have been, I think, 2013, because my first... Well, we'll get to that story in a second. But yeah, um, I'm pretty sure it was 2013. And um, so Scott had kind of been a witness to the podcasting journey I'd been on over the years doing the Star Trek one. It's ups and it's crippling downs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell,
2: tell me about it, buddy. <laughs>
1: so go on then. How did you both uh, meet each other and how did the show get started?
2: Uh, well, we were both in the men's toilet.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, you saw, you no. saw a message left on one of the doors
2: <laughs> for for a good podcast called Cam Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I was recording Scott at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I we basically met in an entirely different country than either of us live. Wow. Um, so we're both uh, Star Trek fans as well as spy movie fans, and we met at the Star Trek Las Vegas convention which is the biggest star trek convention in the world it runs annually although it didn't run these last years because of uh covid of course um but yeah and uh we met through mutual friends i think that's fair to say cam
0: Mm -hmm.
2: yep and that was sort of the genesis really um we 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 sort of hung out for that first convention i i went there with an ex-girlfriend at the time so cam sort of witnessed the destruction of that relationship which also happened on that holiday (laughs) <laughs> and I, I sort of been going back ever since every year and the the friendship sort of built from there.
0: Yeah. And my co-host on Subspace Transmissions goes with me, um, I guess, starting in 2014, he started going to the convention. And so Scott became, again, a friend of him. And so we would have Scott on the Star Trek podcast Every time we could. Basically, we would record episodes when we were in Vegas every year. Scott would also send in voicemails to our podcast. And so, yeah, at a certain point, it just made sense to us to, uh, uh, you know, branch off into doing something else.
1: That's cool. So when did you first think about actually doing Spy Hards, and how long did it take you to eventually get the show started?
2: Well, us, like many podcasts at the moment, are what I would call a lockdown podcast. Yeah. Mm. Which isn't to say that it ends when lockdown's lifted. I mean, Marv, you know quite well that we're still in a lockdown here in the UK. Um, Cam is not so much in lockdown in Vancouver, but I think the the discussion actually started around the first lockdown in the UK, so around about maybe June time last year. Okay. But to take it back a little bit, uh, sort of a genesis of what led into that, I, a couple of years ago, bought uh, the Bond movie box set and I I had seen most of them growing up but I I decided to watch them all in a row and I I knew Cam was a Bond fan Um, and so I kind of chronicled my journey through the films like texting him throughout and that kind of led us down the path of talking about doing some sort of podcast when we started discussing the idea but it took us a little while to get to the point of spy movies
1: okay
0: yeah because originally i mean i my relationship with bond goes way back to when i'm probably about you know nine or ten years old and i was always obsessed with that franchise and yeah i remember scott and i kicking around ideas and the natural inclination was to do you know a james bond podcast but there's so many out there and like the james bonding podcast is one i listened to religiously it was fantastic and i just thought like Boy, it's tough to deliver something better than what has already existed. And also, you know, there's only 25 Bond films. You know, there's a couple unofficial, but 25 official. Um, So, like, is there a lot of fodder to really dive into at this point? Are we just going to do 25 episodes and then be like, okay, well, uh, I guess we'll do episode by episode reviews of James Bond Jr., the animated show? Like, what do we do? (laughs) It kind of gets a little bit thin. And so... Going wider allowed us to tackle things like Mission Impossible, which we love, uh, franchises like the Jason Bourne films, um, and just open up to movies we've never seen. Because, I mean, I'm a big Hitchcock fan, I like a lot of classic film, but there's tons of old spy movies that, you know, I've been aware of, but I never actually watched.
1: So, have you come across any films or thought about any films that you discussed on your previous film podcast camp?
0: um no i don't think there has been a crossover yet we actually (laughs) i'm not going to spoil anything but scott and i were actually just plotting out our next eight episodes that we'll be recording and there will be a crossover officially with one of those but to date i don't think so no um yeah uh, i think we've actually been pretty good at picking things that I haven't explored a lot in that old movie podcast, although I should note, I guess I, this slips my mind, but I also do an Arnold Schwarzenegger film podcast, um, (laughs) with another friend. It's been on hold because of the pandemic. We prefer to record those in person together. So it's been on hold for almost a year now, but we actually did do true lies on the, um, on spy hearts. And I have done true lies on that podcast, Arnie Geddon. So, um, there's two very different, uh, reviews, I think of, um, you know, true lies on either podcast, and I listened
2: to that one, the the Arnie Gedin version, just to take notes of what not to do.
0: Obviously, okay. yeah. I mean, it was yeah. basically just um, ninety minutes of "I" sort of sounds. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like spy parts.
1: <laughs> uh, dear T- Tom Arnold, why am I always in the van?
2: <laughs> <laughs> he, he um he retweeted the the episode when we put that out a few months back um, and like tweeted a gif at us to all of his followers as well. That was quite nice of Tom. Yeah. yeah that, that, that definitely helped out.
1: That is so cool. Cause he's, he's a, I, I think, I mean, I've not listened to that episode yet, but I think he's an incredibly important part to that film.
0: Oh yeah. And uh, quite a controversial casting choice at the time. I mean, James Cameron had to go to the mat to get him hired on to that film and no one really believed that that was a good idea. I remember at the time being like, "Really? That's who you're putting in a Schwarzenegger film?" But really delivered for sure.
1: Absolutely, it added to the. I mean, it's it's a really good comic film anyway. In in those places, I mean, Arnold pulls off comedy really well. Surprisingly, you know, considering what he was doing back then, and uh, Tom Arnold just just adds to that. But then again, so does Bill Paxton as well.
0: Oh yeah. For sure. I mean, I love Bill Paxton to death. Uh, I, I mourn the fact that he left us so soon because that guy had so many years of great character work. I mean, I would love to see an 80 year old Bill Paxton, you know, like, because he just would have been one of those great character actors we would have seen right probably till the end of his days.
1: Absolutely. So, um, how would you describe uh, your show to people who haven't heard it?
2: Gibberish. <laughs> um i suppose the best way to put it is we cover the best and worst of spy movies um to figure out if they make this this list that we've created or we're trying to create that we call the knock list uh but basically we'll pick movies from all over uh, from when spy movies been created so back at the earliest is the 30s we've got at the moment um And just sort of put it through this filtration process if we think it's good enough to make this list.
0: Yeah, and we call the list the Knock List. Um, I'm sure people remember the term the Knock List from the first Mission Impossible film. Uh, We use it as the need to see official classics of the Spy Hards canon. That's the acronym we've gone for. And the idea is we're assembling. The ultimate list, the pantheon of great spy films. If someone says, I need to know the greatest spy films of all time, stat, you would hand them this list and they would say, perfect. These look like the best candidates possible. And so we go through each movie and we are, you know, obviously doing Hitchcock stuff, James Bond. um, A lot of the things people look to when they think great spy films. But we're also digging for hidden gems as well. Movies that maybe don't jump immediately to the front of your memory when you're thinking of great spy films.
1: Absolutely. So you will be going to like, uh, Matt Helm, etc., and our man, Flint.
0: 100% yes. Uh, our man Flint is coming up real soon. Um, we'll probably space out the Matt Helms just because they are somewhat similar in tone to like a Flint franchise, but Matt Helm is 100% on the list.
1: Okay. So, um, how do you choose the films Then I mean, they're not obvious spy films you'll pick films that have elements even though they're not technically seen by a lot of people as spy films like uh, Men in Black for instance I suppose
2: Yeah it's it was an interesting sort of way of looking at it because initially we sort of found as many spy films as we could and we put that on a, a, a spreadsheet that we have but then we thought well there's lots of other things that are sort of spy adjacent which is almost like a term we use a lot I think we've probably coined it Spy adjacent and one of the things we thought about is well what's what are big franchises that are spy adjacent? and we eventually got to men in black because you know they do kind of go undercover. they are a secret uh, a secret service of some sort that work for the American military or American government. and it just seemed like an interesting well to, to you know to mine and also it can get quite dry if you're just talking about you know John carré adaptations every week.
0: Yeah, and there's so many films now. A lot of the franchises people love, um, you know, you said Men in Black, but uh, I don't know how much they love Men in Black at this point. But, you know, think of like John Wick, for example. Um, It's about a secret society. It's about trained assassins. Um, It's the sorts of things you see in spy movies. You can even look at the last couple um, Mission... Sorry, you can also look at the last couple um, Fast and Furious movies where they become like these international... Um, agents that run missions, you know, for a covert organization. It's these sorts of franchises as well that allow us to look at not necessarily what you think of as the sharply defined spy movie, but more as the evolution of what spy movies can be for a popular market. And, and the other thing as
2: well, quite honestly, is it just adds longevity to it. If you if you include these other franchises that are adjacent, as I, as I say, it, it just gives us more things to work with. Otherwise, after a year, we would be you know, speaking about the most obscure films you've never heard of.
0: And people were always like, well, why don't you just do all the Bonds and all the Mission Impossibles? And we're like, well, what's what's left in terms of what people, you know, uh, like in terms of popularity, you want to space out the really cool stuff and introduce other, you know, listeners to movies that maybe not be on their radar. And maybe some of those really have a lot of value.
1: Absolutely. I mean, with that sort of scope, you could possibly include something along the lines of... um in the line of five, because you've got the Secret Service Mm -hmm.
2: agents. Yep. Yep. So it's all, if if someone can make a good enough argument to us, and we've had this on like Instagram or or on Twitter in the past, if you can make a good enough argument about its inclusion, we will discuss it and, and cover it. There's a few we've added to our master spreadsheet that have been suggested to us that we didn't think were quite right. But then upon review, we've added it to the list to cover.
1: I mean, Condor Man, for instance, which you've done, that's the most recent one to this recording that you've done. That's got elements of secret agency work to it, but it's also. I don't know, is, is it a tongue in cheek um, superhero film or something as well?
0: Absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah. It
2: definitely is. But, it, you know, if you think about Condor Man as, as a story, he's. He works he's a comic book writer this this character Condor man. Yeah. He's a comic book writer, but he he does a, a job for his friend who works for the CIA to deliver a package to Istanbul and then becomes known by this Russian mafia as as a spy as the Condor man and he goes undercover and infiltrates the whole thing and you know tries to save Barbara Carrera and defect her from russia you know that, that's a spy story I mean yes, he has you know plastic wing strap to him yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I mean, also, the movie is thoroughly spoofing the James Bond franchise, particularly the Roger Moore era. Yeah. And so it really takes it all right back to a spy film. It, it's one that um, I think I added that one to the list because I was aware of it as, you know, from being a kid. I didn't see it as a kid, but it was one that I remembered. And um, as soon as we watched it, because sometimes when we um, put movies on the list that we haven't seen, We kind of apprehensively watched the movie and are like, oh, God, did I make the right choice in suggesting this for an episode? But Condor Man was one where almost immediately I was like, nope, this was 100 percent a good call on my part. And another one to to just chip in, not to
2: sort of signal what we're doing in the immediate future, but it's definitely on our list. We had uh, Star Wars Rogue One suggested to us. Mm, Yeah. Which wouldn't seem like a spy film. If you just look at it, it's a Star Wars film. But I went back and watched it, and there's a whole spy plot throughout the film.
1: Well, the whole film is actually about them doing what would be a a spy mission. If it was in the modern world, it would be a a spy's mission to go in there and retrieve data and and get out the data.
2: Exactly. And and that character, um, I can't remember the name, Cam, I'm blanking on the main male character, Oh, Cassian Andor? Cassian Andor. Yeah. He works for the Rebellion Intelligence Service.
1: Yep. So he's actually a spy for the for the Rebel Alliance. Exactly.
0: Yep. And there are a lot of popular franchises which dabble in that. I mean, the Marvel franchise, you've got the um, second Captain America movie and you've got Black Widow coming up. Um, in the, what cars franchise cars Two is a total spy spoof. And so a lot of other franchises that aren't necessarily defined as a spy movie franchise will often dabble in the genre, which then open them up to us to examine. I was actually just the other day looking at a, uh, 1980s Godzilla movie that could apply for, um, further consideration in the future. So there's a lot of opportunities to tackle, um, Tweaks on the spy formula in formats that people might not expect beyond the sort of the standard what they think of as a spy film.
1: And before I forget to mention it, with Barbara Carrera, you've got a woman who's been in two uh, uh, spy hard films than I would have thought. Eventually, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, I'm, I'm a big defender of Never Say Never Again. I think it's a legit Bond film, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that someday.
1: We're <laughs> <laughs> wondering, so. What was your first experience of spy films, uh, Scott? It's an
2: interesting question. I'm just trying to think of the answer. I think it's got to be Bond. Okay. In all honesty, I think it's got to be James Bond. I know I definitely saw, um, I definitely saw GoldenEye when it was on video release, not on cinema release in the UK. And I definitely played the video game, but before that, I had definitely seen, uh, you know, Octopussy in A View to a Kill. And a couple of the Roger Moore ones as quite a young child. I hadn't seen any of the Sean Connery ones, but I had definitely seen some of the latest Roger Moores. Um, And and remember just thinking they were fun romps, which
1: they are. Hmm. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, for me, um, it was probably when I was about nine years old, eight years old, somewhere in there. I remember um, my sister was on a soccer team. And so I spent a lot of weekends having to sit – in the car or somewhere, you know, reading my Nintendo Power magazine while my sister played soccer. And I remember it was a particularly cold day. It was something like the winter, fall, somewhere in there. And my parents said, okay, tonight we're going to order in pizza and watch a James Bond movie, which the only knowledge I had of what a James Bond was, was actually from reading Archie comics. They would often spoof the character and they called him James Denob. They would spell Bond backwards in Archie comics. And so- I didn't really understand what that meant. And I remember we watched A View to a Kill, the um, final Roger Moore film, and my imagination was just completely captured. Um, I remember actually in school that same year, you know, shortly after I watched A View to a Kill, we had to draw little portfolios to keep our school in. They basically handed us white cardboard and we had to draw on them. And I think I might still have mine somewhere, but I drew Roger Moore and um, Christopher Walken as Max Zorin on mine. And I had moments recreating View to a Kill. So it really did grab my attention. And that just really drove me to bug my parents mercilessly to rent every James Bond movie available at the video store.
1: Well, hopefully your drawing on that is better than my drawing on the uh, show notes.
0: (laughs) 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 it wasn't great it was not great I think um, Roger Moore had an arm protruding from his stomach or something
1: well Scott's Scott's head looks very strange on my show notes don't you think yes (laughs)
2: you should see it in person
1: (laughs) (laughs) when this is all over we'll all meet in a pub and have a drink together and everything
2: well Cam's planning a little uh, a little trip to the UK and when this is all buggered off
1: Mm, absolutely
2: I, I, I hopefully get to push him down the stairs at the Royal Albert Hall sometime soon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's nice.
2: <laughs> A little nod to the Ipqris file.
1: Yeah. Yes, of course. Yes. Since you've mentioned James Bond, we might as well skip ahead to that and say, so which is your favourite Bond actor then, um, Cam?
0: Oh, this is one of those questions that's so difficult for me because if you ask me intellectually... I think the best Bond actor is Sean Connery in his first three films. I mean, he is defining that role and we are still always trying to evoke that. Even when they're looking at Daniel Craig, you so often hear people say, well, he's conjuring up the danger of early Connery. You know, you can't escape what Connery did. But if you ask me my favorite, I mean, it's very hard for me to escape the shadow of Roger Moore. That's what made me love the franchise was being a kid and... While Kill Kills my first, it wasn't my favorite of the Roger Moores growing up. My favorites were like Octopussy and The Spy Who Loved Me. I was absolutely obsessed with both of those, um, also uh, For Your Eyes Only. And so to me, there's something about the comedic value and just the big action sequences of the Roger Moores that I'm so nostalgic for. It's hard for me to say it's not my favorite.
1: Yeah, uh, for your eyes only. I was talking to somebody recently. We were talking about um, On a Majesty's Secret Service. Mm. And uh I was saying to this person that I think On a Majesty's Secret Service is a better film than it was initially thought to be. Personally because um number one it's it's probably the closest or one of the closest to the books.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Essentially. And number two they were trying to do something different with the franchise. Uh, which, you know, all respect to them for doing that but because people wanted, by this point it was almost, you, you knew what a Bond film was and already had the uh, the elements set therein so trying to do something else with it like the romance and everything and getting married I, I think people weren't wanting that so, so then automatically the it's almost like they decided straight after that with Diamonds Are Forever to almost basically just rehash what what people expected from a Bond film. And then uh, they did the same, I think, with For Your Eyes Only. had really... Um, it had less of the gimmickry. I mean, it had some of it, but not to the same degree. And it was a more... Closer to the classic uh, spy film genre. But people... Put that film down a bit when it came out, which meant that automatically you went back to the same old routine with Octopussy. Uh, what do you think?
0: Well, I mean, the Bond franchise has always been very reactive to yeah. their films, and they often kind of go a little extravagant. You know, I mean, um, I, I think *Honor, Majesty's Secret Service* is one of the one of the best of the franchise, but it's also a little ahead of its time um i think it was asking a lot for an audience at that at that point plus you just have the whole replacing sean connery which at that point was so unthinkable so i think it had a lot of strikes against it it's just one of those movies that took its time you know it's like it's a wonderful life um was a bomb when it came out and then it's years later that people recognized it for the great film it is and you know it, it gets its place at last i mean when you have real artistry like you have in Honor, Honor Majesties, it's going to get recognized at some point. It just wasn't 1968 or 69. Um, So that does make sense. But yeah, when you look at the history of the franchise, I mean, uh, you mentioned Free Your Eyes Only. That's a reaction to Moonraker. After Moonraker, they're like, well, we've gone as far as we can go into Crazy Town. We've got to pull back and do Free Your Eyes Only. They did the same thing again when you had Die Another Day, which also was Looney Tunes. And they go, okay, let's do Casino Royale. So it always feels like Bond kind of wanders into really, you know, wacky territory, and then they immediately pull back and go in the opposite direction, which I think it can be probably a little frustrating for people that are following movie to movie, but it makes the franchise a lot more interesting in terms of the uh, broader picture, as well as probably has led to the longevity of it.
1: The, the thing is, though, with uh, with uh, Casino Royale, when, when that came out with uh, Daniel Craig, finally they got... Um a into a position where the audience were open to uh, a film that was a bit more serious should we say than 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 the fare that you'd had from um, Piers Brosnan and uh, a lot of the the Roger Moore uh, stuff so so I think in a way the audience was at the right place for a more serious should we say bond
2: I I would agree with that. And I I would say Die Another Day, not that we've got to it yet, but was probably quite uh, or very much responsible for that because you look at how GoldenEye progressed into Tomorrow Never Dies. GoldenEye is quite serious. Tomorrow Never Dies leans on the camp and the jokes quite a lot. And then they seem to try and course correct again with The World Is Not Enough. And then again, they try and course correct back to comedy with Die Another Day. And plus it's like the 90s. People are starting to want more of that sort of serious storytelling. And so you can see why they went, actually, let's sort of semi-reboot it. Let's let's go back to the source
0: material and figure out what Bond is. And that's how you get Casino Royale. And also, the Bond producers are <laughs> very observant of pop culture trends. You had the Bourne films were getting very popular. You also had Batman Begins in 2005, which um, it wasn't a mega smash at the box office, but there was a lot of influence from the Batman Begins film Going forward, and uh, you know you look at what born was, or sorry, you look at what um the casino royale was i it was believe i believe it was actually even pitched as Bond begins. They were very much looking at what these trends were for going back to the beginning, doing these more stripped down action based realistic versions of heroes. and I think you know it made sense it made sense to follow that trend,
1: yep, yeah, and I think it worked perfectly that they had an actor in the uh, with the caliber of um daniel craig to portray that character as well
0: yeah the bummer is you know timothy dalton's an actor who people don't he's definitely getting more of his kudos lately but you know his time really wasn't the 80s uh people didn't really want what he was selling in the 80s and i think daniel craig is able to benefit in a way that dalton wasn't i think if dalton had come out in the 2000s he could have been our you know daniel craig but You know he had to kind of pave the way to get to a Daniel Craig
1: absolutely I mean I think that um, both of uh, Timothy's films are incredibly overlooked I thought they were really good films both of them
0: Um, yeah they are and they are very much getting a resurgence I think a lot of people now are looking at them in parallel with what Daniel Craig has achieved with that franchise Um, it seemed like the franchise really moved away from Fleming when you got to the Moore era and So often, you know, especially nowadays with things like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, there's a lot more of a focus um, from the fans of being like, hey, keep this close to the novels, keep these close to the books. We want that spirit on the screen. Whereas I feel like a lot of the film going public really just got on board with the Roger Moore mode of James Bond stories and said, hey, we like this, stick to this. And that is not what Dalton was delivering at all. He was going closer to Fleming. But at that point, I don't even know if audiences cared anymore.
1: No, and there, there again, you had another one with the License to Kill, which was another change from the usual Bond fare as well, where it's almost like it's a revenge story. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, Cam and I just took part in um, Mark O'Connor, who's, the, who's a writer, written a Bond book. Yeah. He'd done a top five Bond list where everyone sort of writes down their favourite Bond films. And it was interesting that um, both me and Cam wrote down License to Kill in our top five.
1: Wow, that's brilliant. That, that's, so, that's great. So when you're getting ready for each episode, then what sort of research do you do? Is it a case of watching the film or... Do you really do serious deep dives online and find out all that you can the nitty gritty behind production and everything?
2: It's it's different for me and for Cam. We both have our own approaches and I think it kind of shows in the product itself. I I tend to, because as, as we said at the beginning, Cam spent years doing podcasts and he's he writes blogs on films. He's, he's been writing about films for a very long time. I'm more of a popcorn eating check my phone whilst at the cinema idiot um you know i i just like my films i'll go and watch them but i'm not the guy who sits there analyzing them for hours on end afterwards so in terms of preparation all i actually do is i watch the films twice and i write some
0: notes about my thoughts on the film directly afterwards and i'm curious scott what was the most punishing one to watch twice uh um (laughs) there's been a couple (laughs) there's 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 been a couple the 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 one i struggled with
2: the most was men in black 2 yeah it's it it's a film that's completely void of any charm of any wit of any pace it it just feels like 19 minutes of just shrug (laughs)
0: um what about you buddy um So for what I do in terms of my process, I will uh, put together kind of a little bit of a dossier on the movie that will. uh, I'll go in and dig up all the box office information on the film. Um, That can be quite difficult when you're dealing with things made pre about 1975. But usually I'm able to find some results in some way, shape or form. Uh, I will also do a sort of a abbreviated um, summary of the production of the film. Um, Sometimes that's easy, sometimes that's difficult. You know, when you look at some, especially franchises are so easy. If I need to know the background on a James Bond movie, oh my God, it's so easy. There's so many different sources of information. It's all laid out for me, love it. And then there's some things um, that are very difficult. Like, you know, I'm thinking of like when we did like Cloak and Dagger, um, which is a 1980s family movie starring Henry Thomas. That one, I really had to dig around the internet to find interviews and piece things together in terms of any sort of behind the scenes on that movie because it was kind of a, you know, it's a cult classic kind of now, but at the time totally ignored and not a lot of uh, written material on Cloak and Dagger going forward. So I always try to put together a dossier. Sometimes it's super easy. Sometimes it's very difficult. But by and large, I'm usually happy with what I'm able to find when we record the episode. And I don't watch the movies twice like Scott. I tend to watch them just the once the night before we record because we generally record in the mornings.
1: So how, how did you find that Cloak and Dagger then? Was that an easy film to find?
0: The film itself? Yeah. Um. No, I think it was easy. I think that one was just one that we, uh, at least I was able to just rent on probably, I don't know, um, Apple Rentals or something. I think I rented
2: it too, but a lot of, uh, a lot of the times I will just, go on eBay and buy like a secondhand DVD or I'll use something like um, uh, CEX, which I'm sure as a company you're, you're familiar with, Marv, it's like a secondhand yeah. uh, you know, shop you can get stuff from uh, and they'll just send them to your house. And you can get them for like three pounds most of the time. It doesn't cost too much. And I will just say as well, I mean, on, on our episodes, part of our research is, is is in the episode itself. So before we get into how we think about or what we feel about the film, we do like a little briefing section where Cam will tell me the information he's learnt, And th- this is genuinely the first time I'm hearing it. So he'll tell me the box office and this is me figuring it out. Uh, and that's
0: sort of my reactions to it. So most of the time I'm just dumbfounded. you see i really love finding out historical context for all movies not just the ones we cover on the podcast you know i will watch a movie on a night off and immediately be online looking up the historical information on how that movie came to be so that's just me kind of exercising all my kind of uh (laughs) all the things that i love about film
1: that's great so are there any hidden gems that people don't know about that you think that uh, they should know about
0: oh boy um scott does anything jump to mind to you of things we've covered so far that people should really check out that may not have you know stumbled across those movies
2: the the one that jumps to mind uh we discussed this on our sort of new year's wrap-up episode sort of at the end of 2020 was hannah with saoirse ronan and eric banner I just, I didn't know anything about that film going into it. And I was just, I was just blown away by it. I thought it was such a great film.
0: Yeah. It was one that I saw right when it hit video back in the day and no, actually I saw it in theaters. That's right. Yeah. I went to see it in a very empty theater. Um, And I remember walking out just thinking like, why is no one talking about this movie? This movie is doing really interesting things with the genre. It has an incredible amount of style and amazing score why is this movie kind of getting somewhat middling reviews and just being completely ignored? And I've also got a soft spot for... Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of this film. It's
2: uh, from Russia with Love.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that little film. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: that, that old chestnut. Yeah. Um, no, the only other one that springs to mind would be... Um, i we, It didn't make the knock list, but
0: I, I did actually not mind Men in Black 3 too much. Mm, yeah, I thought it was okay. quite quirky. Um, we also both enjoyed "Where Eagles Dare," which yeah. um, it's uh, it was actually a very popular episode for us, and. Um, it's one of those men on a mission World War II films that I was aware of. I don't know, though, a lot of people of my generation and younger are at all familiar with that movie anymore. And I think it's one they would enjoy. Another one, um, speaking for my side of the pond here over in Canada, or I'll just say North America in general, The Ipcress File is not a particularly mm. well-known movie at all. Um, the Harry Palmer films are somewhat obscure over here. And so when I picked um, the Harry Palmer franchise for us to start on, uh, I didn't know what I was picking. I just thought, okay, I like Michael Caine a lot. I've seen a lot of his work. Let's do some Michael Caine spy movies. And I really loved The Ipcris File, the style of it, um, the sort of anti-Bond um, you know, um, method of spy storytelling. I think it's a very cool movie. The sequels were kind of diminishing returns for me, but the actual first film, The Ipcris File, I think, Anyone who loves spy movies should check out um, uh, Scott. Though that was a polarizing episode because I think Scott came down a little bit on the opposite. It was a fun discussion. Yeah,
2: the the Yip file has been the the weight I've had to bear. I think so far on this podcast, and in terms of feedback, most people just tend to be surprised I reacted to it that way. It's it's interesting that I just I just didn't find the joy in the film. I don't I don't think I hated it. I just I didn't find the love that a lot of Spy enthusiasts have found.
1: I'm actually surprised by that. Were there any of the other Harry Palmer films that you preferred to it, or have you not seen any of the others yet?
2: We've actually covered all of the films, and uh, yeah. I mean a little spoiler for next week. But we're covering the two TV movies he did in the '90s next week. Wow! Uh, so we're we're really rounding off the uh, the Harry Palmer. Uh, I don't know whatever five film series there is a uh, five film series is, but. Um, I actually preferred Funeral in Berlin.
1: Okay, because at the moment I've only heard the first uh, Harry Palmer-related episode. I think that you've done.
0: Yeah, they,
2: they they all follow. Oh, sorry. They all they all kind of flow every eight episodes until we until basically next week. So you'll you'll have the next one coming out quite soon.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Actually, I'll go to a question that uh, Louise has just given to me. What would you say is your favourite Bond villain? Hmm. Villain? Hmm.
0: Okay. Are we including henchmen or are we just looking at the primary big bads?
1: I don't know. I mean, you could go either way, really, because I quite like a lot of the henchmen you know, in some ways.
2: I'm going to stick with villains, I think, for my answer. Um, it's really hard to go wrong with Goldfinger
0: yeah uh, yeah that's a good call I mean yeah. any villain that, anyone that cheats at golf I mean come on yeah <laughs> what a scumbag yeah. um, and I, a lot of
2: the Sean Connery villains are actually quite memorable to me yeah uh, Dr. No as well uh, Rosa Klebb from Russia with Love they they all kind of knock you out of the park really
0: Yeah. I mean, then you're also looking at the classic Blofeld and I come down more on the Donald Pleasance Blofeld versus the Telly Savalas or the Charles Gray. But again, it's another very iconic one. That's something I think actually the Moors struggled more with was they had some great henchmen, but they had very few iconic, great um, main villains. Um, But I, I, I keep coming back to Dr. No. I don't know that I would have said Dr when I was younger, but he's a villain that every time I revisit that movie, I am more and more impressed with Joseph Wiseman's very like cold, almost computer-like performance. The hands are a nice touch. Um, He also just sets the template for everything we're going to see going forward in that franchise. I think there's very few modern Bond villains that I would put on that sort of tier, really. I would say you can look at Le Chiffre in Casino Royale, Silva in Skyfall, and Maybe 006 in uh, GoldenEye, but those are the three best of the modern era, I think. But for me, there's something about Dr. No. There's a mystique to that character because he only has, I don't know, like he's only in the movie for about 40 minutes or something like that, that he's a character that leaves you wanting more. No, nobody said Max Zorin yet, and that really annoys me. But is <laughs> I, look, I love Max Zorin. I think um, Christopher Walken is having a blast. He's happiest in the saddle, <laughs> um <laughs> but um I don't know that I would say he's a top tier Bond villain. <laughs> he's the only one with a blimp, that's all I'm saying. That's true, that is very true. That's true.
1: That is true. It's like the um y- you remember uh Jaws, who is a henchman more than you would um oh the the main villain in uh, Spy Who Loved Me.
0: Yeah. Um, Stromwell, yeah.
1: That's it, Stromwell, yeah. But you remember Jaws more than you do, than obviously I do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know uh, that they've said too that Stromwell was originally probably going to be Blofeld and then there was so many legal issues that they ended up creating a new villain. Um, yeah, I I think it would have been better if it was Blofeld.
1: (laughs) So do I. So do I. But in in a way, the Moonraker film, you've almost got the same thing there were stromwell but it's, it's a different named character but the character in moonraker is almost exactly the same as the character in spy who loved me should we say
0: it's not just the villains it's the whole movie is pretty much the same
1: <laughs> absolutely
0: <laughs> yeah uh, that was one thing like lewis gilbert who directed you only live twice um, would go on to do two more. He did Spy Love Me and Moonraker. And both of those movies are basically remakes of You Only Live Twice. Not a lot of versatility in his films.
1: No, absolutely not. What would you name yourself if you were a spy character in a film, Scott?
2: I think I've, I, I, I've either posed this question before or we've been asked this question on, uh, somewhere else before. So I'm going to keep my answer mm. because it is a pseudonym I have used before although I, I suppose i'm giving up my identity by saying it on a podcast but hey i'm not actually a spy um so my my secret identity is gary jones nice <laughs> it, it it's so you know beige you wouldn't suspect a gary jones you would just stamp that passport and he would walk right through that gate
0: That's a good call. It makes me think of Gary Mitchell, though, from Star Trek. (laughs) Every time I hear Gary Jones, I think Gary Mitchell. (laughs) I'm looking at you awkwardly right now, Cam. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For me, I think I have to go with uh, a name that I've used in the past. Um, I used to work in community TV. And um, back in those days, you had often very, um, you know, skeleton crews running TV shows. And so we would do like four or five jobs on one show. And we like to use fake names in the credits because it makes it look like you actually have a full crew and you're not a bargain basement production. And so I would use the name Trent Mason for my TV name. I used it for uh, several years, and I think I would probably stick to that one. I think Trent Mason is actually a pretty good uh, flashy spy name.
1: That's great. That's great. My my other ask just asked me what I would name myself, but I think since my surname's Quibella and I'm very often... Called Q by people, I think I'd just be Q, and not be an agent.
2: <laughs> Is that kind of like Prince? You just you're just a symbol Q.
1: That's it. I'll just like be the... the symbol Q. Yeah.
2: yeah. There we go.
1: There we go. What What's your favourite Bond gadget, by the way, Scott?
2: Uh, I think it has to be the uh, flamethrower bagpipes. <laughs> 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 It's really hard to touch that. Uh, I'm half Scottish, so uh, I, I could put a kilt on and you wouldn't think I was carrying a flamethrower. And uh, look, I'm carrying a
1: flamethrower! <laughs> that, that reminds me of that joke, uh, the one they've invented for the Americans called a ghetto blaster.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, dear. What's your favourite uh, gadget, uh, Um,
0: I think if I'm going to give a less jokey answer... I don't know that you can top the Lotus from The Spy Who Loved Me. I know a lot of people will say the Aston Martin because it had all the awesome gadgets in Goldfinger and uh, Thunderball. But there's something about the Lotus that captured my imagination as a kid. I loved any movie, really, that went that like involved water and sharks. And that movie has both. And we have a car that turns into a submarine. It goes underwater where there are sharks. I mean, that is the ultimate gadget in my mind.
1: I think I had that as a as a toy, like uh, the Lotus, where it where it changed, and I think you press a button on the side, and or something, and something happens. And I had the toy um, Aston Martin as well, where you press the button and the, uh, the thing pops up at the back, the the shield, should we, I think it is.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I've got the um, eagle moss little diorama of the Lotus underwater. I think I would join you in a submersible, but I would take the uh, the crocodile. <laughs> oh, that's a good call, too. The uh, crocodile from uh, Octopussy, Octopussy is incredible.
1: That's brilliant. <laughs> that's so good. So um, when you're editing your show, what, what, how, how do you put the show together? And how do you record it?
2: I, I scream into a microphone for about two hours, and then Cam has to spend five hours cleaning it off, I'd say.
0: Well <laughs> <More than> Cam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We record using, yeah, Zencaster, okay. um, which is we found to be a pretty good way of recording podcasts um, remotely. Um, and since Scott lives in London and I live in Vancouver, remotely is our only option. Um, but when it comes to editing, uh, I do all my editing in Sony Acid, which is a... Um, Uh, audio program i purchased years ago i found it to be one of the best for assembling these things i would with some of my other podcasts i will use audacity um audacity is pretty good i use it for cleaning up audio generally but i find in terms of actually assembling episodes i go through and do most of my edits in sony acid and then put it all together in there and and then go from posting it right from right from there
1: so uh the show music and any clips that you use how do you uh How do you go about that? And where did you get the show music from?
0: Oh, (laughs) that's, I guess, a little bit of my brainchild. Um, Years ago, I used to put together uh, rap music with my friend. Um, Those songs will not see the light of day, they're humiliating. But it kind of taught me the basics of how to assemble music using loops and whatever. And so over the years, I've done a lot of that sort of stuff. And so I think uh yeah every podcast I do I'll put together theme music and the spy hard's music I just sat down and I was like okay I always start with a visual and I just knew I wanted something that represented 60s spy films and so I just sit there until I figure out music that makes me think of 60s spy films
1: Cool so um what what's your take on using clips do you, you I don't think you use clips do you from films or I can't remember now
0: We don't no,
2: no we don't we don't use anything uh the sort of proprietary stuff that's owned by other companies. We, we're trying to stay away from sort of copyright and that sort of stuff. We do use clips of our own episodes that I will, I will produce using the uh, headliner app on my phone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't, we don't use any actual snippets from movies or anything like that.
1: But If you're doing something like that, then when you come to a film that Cam's already done on his previous show, couldn't you actually Take a clip from that previous show and say, Here's one I did earlier, or something along those lines.
0: We could, but eh, <laughs> I don't know that I need to dredge up like 12 year old clips of myself talking in, I'm sure, very compromised audio about uh, whatever movie it is. What are you talking about? You listen to yourself all the time. Oh, obviously, yeah. I mean, I, you know, the old show that I, the first one I ever did, I'm sure the audio is pretty rough by comparison. And I, it's something that, When I listen to other people's podcasts, I don't obsess over, but I very much obsess over the audio quality of our show. And so the idea of throwing an audio that I don't like very much would just drive me crazy.
1: Okay. Now, it is an interesting one. I don't know whether you noticed this on the show notes that I put. I put, we could play a bit of a game and see if between you, you could create a whole new James Bond film story. Okay. So what elements do you think that it needs to be a perfect Bond film?
0: I mean, Bond very much works through a template, right? So you're really, everything's kind of established already. You're going to have the mission you're going to go on. You're going to have the female leads who pop up. You're going to have your central villain. There's probably a henchman. Um, there's probably a battle at the end. So you're kind of looking at those elements as well as gadgets along the way. And so, And, you know, of course you want your your really cool sounding title and, um, you know, your theme song.
1: Do, do you think that sets James Bond apart from things like, um, should we say, Harry Palmer and George Smiley?
0: In In terms of having a template?
1: Yeah, because they, they can be a bit more, um, should we say, surprising, but they're also very... Laid back as to, as compared to the the Bond films, because well, there's very few films that go quite as extravagant as Bond, shall we say?
0: Right. I I mean, I would say the Harry Palmer films follow a template for sure. Would you agree with that, Scott? The Palmer films. Yeah, the Harry Palmer ones.
2: I think it. it I think they try to stick to it, but it seems to get looser and looser as it goes along.
0: But they do have a general template, I would say. and The first three, yeah. The first three definitely do. Yeah. And so I think it's really just they're going for something completely different artistically. And a lot of that can come to pace. Um, You know, Scott and I, one of our, I think, fun conversations was talking about, like, the villain of the Ipcris file. You know, in a Bond film, they live it, you know, (laughs) inside a hollowed out volcano or (laughs) under the sea or something crazy. And in the Epcris file, the villain is like sitting in the local library doing research. Like, it's just kind of like the choices you make artistically will affect what the overall package is. And Bond aims for sort of, they are superhero movies in some ways. Um, You know, the early Bond character may not be the superhero that he is in like the Roger Moore films, but the world he lives in is kind of a comic book world.
1: So if, if you were making if you were making the follow-up Bond film to No Time to Die, hmm. what do you think would be a really good story for that?
2: I hmm. it's a it is a tough question because it kinda goes down to personal taste, because me and Cam both look for different things in Bond films, I would say. Um but I think if we were going to try and go for something that would be a box office smash, so maybe not necessarily what we both like, but we just try and draw on what the the mass consensus would be. Um, I think you just have to
0: tell another origin story. Oh, you see, that's not where I go at all. Yeah, I don't want an origin story at all. Um, I think we, we've kind of nailed that with Casino Royale. I go, there's nowhere to go from there. I have more the attitude of like, honestly, what I would do is I would have the movie set in the 60s. I would do a period piece that removes all these issues that you have introduced over the years with cell phones and technology, trackers and bonds, bloodstream. Like we can go back to more of those vintage gadgets and ideas like that and villains that are a little more, um, well, less real world than some of the ones of late, like Dominic Green. See, I would, I'll would, i jump in back on that, Cam. I, mm. That is basically what I was pitching, because
2: if you, in a sense, I, I say it as a reboot, but that's because in an origin story, anything going back to the 60s would have to explain who Bond is again.
0: The audience knows, though. I think that's the problem that we run into, like where you had like the uh, Spider-Man movies where they rebooted them, and then they're like, well, we got to tell this story again, and audiences were like, we know, we get it. It's kind of like, how many times do you have to show that Superman came from Krypton? That's true. So you, you would just have... I mean, I agree with you on the 60s. I think it needs to go back to a
2: slightly less intense time and have some more of the more of the fun that the books do have. Uh, and some of the earlier Bond films do too. But um, so you would just have him turn up on the screen and be like, I'm Bond, James Bond, shaken, not stirred.
0: Yeah, more or less. Um, I think you can have... You know, references or acknowledgement of the fact that maybe he's a younger agent and early in his training, but I don't think you need to go through the recruitment from the naval service or anything like that.
1: I think, in a way, you've already been introduced to the 60s Bond if you've watched the uh, the Cottery films, really.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I do agree. I, I just think that heading down the, the, the path we're heading now. Uh, you look at the progression from Casino Royale to now, it just yeah. it just seems to be getting not darker and darker, but just the stakes keep getting higher and higher. And I don't know whether Bond becomes more of a superhero at this yeah. point. Whereas you think about the, the Sean Connery era, especially the first few films, he does just feel like sort of an extravagant agent. He isn't necessarily saving the entire universe.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in those first couple, like it's pretty low stakes missions in Doctor No and From Russia with Love.
1: But at the same time, I would actually say that From Russia with Love is one of my favorites, mm-hmm. personally.
2: Yeah, I think it, I think I put it down as
0: maybe second or yeah. third on my top five. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the really great adaptations of the book. The book is actually very similar except the book doesn't introduce bond till halfway through the first half is all about setting up the villain plot and then we get to watch bond then stumble into this villain plot in the second half of the book and i think the movie does a fantastic job of merging the book uh, elements together and it feels in some ways like i tend to come down a little more on dr no being my preferred one a lot of that has to do with the location the villain various elements like that but it's hard to argue that From Russia With Love isn't the most, um, almost confident and well-refined of the Connery Bonds.
1: I think they, uh, they've taken what they got from the uh, the, the Doctor No, uh, and they just went that little bit further.
0: Yeah, and I love that they play the Bond theme over scenes where he walks through hallways.
1: So, so do I. So do I. <laughs> I, I, like, well, I, I But then I, I like when, when characters have their themes that follow them around, should we say, in films anyway.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I mean, just to spin off from the question, I don't, I don't know, mother, if you had this lined up next, but if we're talking about creating a, a Bond reboot, uh, who would you cast as Bond?
1: I'll throw
2: Ooh. it out to you both.
0: It's one of those questions I find so difficult because uh, I think I've said this on our show, but If you had asked me, you know, in 2005, would you give the job to Daniel Craig? I would have said, no, I don't know who that guy really is. Um, So, and I would have been dead wrong. I never would have seen what was coming. And I think that's kind of what I like with these casting decisions is that usually when people think outside the box, you get these great casting choices. I wouldn't have pushed Heath Ledger as the Joker in The Dark Knight. Or Christian Bale as Batman for that matter. But it was those casting choices that were a little outside the box that gave me things far richer than anything I could have come up with. I think casting is actually a very difficult job. And a lot of people, like myself, have very narrow imaginations and they go, well, who matches the hair color? <laughs> you know, that sort of thing.
1: Um, s- s- something that we both, that all three of us love, go- going to that, I mean, you know, on the same subject is something like Star Trek, where They'll have a new series start and they'll put people into roles and you'll you'll think, wow, I never expected those people to be in Star Trek. Like um, once it once it found its footing in the later seasons, Enterprise, for instance, Scott Bakula, you would never expect him to be in a Star, Star Trek film. I mean, series.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I remember when they cast Carl Urban as Bones. I don't know if people remember this, but like Star Trek fans were not happy. I mean, he was kind of the buff guy from Lord of the Rings and Pathfinder and some other action movies like that. And it was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. This is not DeForest Kelly. And then he shows up and he's almost more DeForest Kelly than DeForest Kelly. And he's become like probably the biggest fan favorite out of that whole cast.
1: Absolutely. Closely followed by... I think I think that in the first film, Zachary Quinto did a fabulous job with the uh, Spock.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: I think he's the next solid hit out of that cast. The one I think was a dud, and I'll stick to this, is Simon Pegg. And I love Simon Pegg, but I think he's Scotty is just... I think he just tries to
0: pretend to be Scotty. He That's, feels like uh, the most caricature of the group. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I love Zoe Saldana. I think she is astonishing as Uhura and has inhabited or imbued that character with so much that was just never provided for that character in the original series. I think she is a real standout as well.
1: Absolutely. Um, and uh, Just, you know, kudos to them for having uh, James Doohan's son, actually, in the Star Trek films as well as an engineer.
0: (laughs) One of the
2: greats. he's always nice at the conventions
0: are like Chris doing yep yeah, he tells some good stories for sure
1: he does so um, going to uh, he's, he's an interesting one that I've got down I don't know how, how I came to this as a question but the uh, George Smiley character who's your favourite George Smiley is it Alec Guinness or Gary Holdman
0: um, I'll say I'm somewhat of a novice in the world of Le Carré So uh, I've seen The Spy Who Came In From the Cold. I've seen Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Um, Not a lot beyond that. Scott and I have planned out at least one movie in the fairly near future. Um, But I mean, my only real access point is Gary Oldman. And I mean, it's hard for me to decide on anyone other than Gary Oldman at anything. I think Gary Oldman's an astonishing actor. So I'll go with him because he's the safe choice for me. (laughs) It's fairly safe to assume
2: if we haven't covered the film, I probably haven't read the book. Uh, so I I know know Lucare in terms of books, and I definitely don't have any of his films apart from the uh, the Harry Palmer though. He's not called that in the books. Uh, see yeah, films in my head. I mean, you just look at our. We, we interviewed actually speaking of Star Trek connections, we yeah. interviewed Nicholas Meyer um, oh. some time ago because he was he was quite heavily connected with Tomorrow Never Dies.
1: Okay, um, I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, um, I'll I'll save the episode not to spoil it for you, and sort of his connections. But we uh, later in the episode he starts asking us about our sort of uh, (laughs) what we've read in terms of spy novels, and uh, we were both put to shame by Nicholas Meyer. So uh, don't don't expect us to be very well educated on that side of things, especially not me.
0: Yeah, uh, well, there's a great podcast out there called Spyberry that tackles spy literature. That's where you want to go for spy literature. We're the film guys. Um, I've read um, a significant amount of the um, Ian Fleming James Bond novels, but uh, yeah, I'm not a big spy literature reader. I'm not, not a big. Uh, I'm not a big fiction reader in general. I tend to read more um, film biographies and things like that. So,
1: I'm about to show that I. But I, I don't know much about the books that either. So Harry Harry Palmer then. So he's he's not Harry Palmer in the books?
0: No, he's actually an unnamed character in the novels, which was kind of one of those little things I discovered while we were actually... We always, um, on our Instagram account, at SpyHards, um, we try to put up trivia um, throughout the week uh, based around the movie we've tackled that week. And that was just a little factoid I came across when we were promoting Ipris File... And I was kind of like, huh, that's really interesting. And it's something that I'm sure any fan of Len Dayton was like, well, duh. But for me, it was like, oh, that's really interesting that they built this whole franchise around a character named Harry Palmer who was not named Harry Palmer in the the, uh, novels.
1: Wow. So what would you say are tropes that you have to have in all spy films or most spy films? Hmm.
0: It gets tough when we're tackling Men in Black here. (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) I I would say generally there's like a covert organization at the core. Um, Probably some sort of like um, basic mission concept. Um, Not necessarily, though. I'm, I'm thinking of stuff we've got coming up that isn't necessarily a mission. But there has to be something to do with like an espionage element being brought into sort of a world of intrigue that I think is very crucial. We, we looked at, um, there's an episode called The Briefing,
2: which is the first episode we put out, where we kind of set out our mission statement. And one of the things we sort of mentioned is, is what is a spy film? And it's a very hard, I mean, you can look up the definition of the word spy and you could use that as a literal thing. But I, I think if anything is covered in terms of, as, as Cam says, like a covert agency or some sort of a, a mission or someone going undercover um anything like that if it brushes against it then we will look at it so if any of those tropes are covered i'd say i'd say as, as long as one of them is in the film it will count for us even Spy Kids four
1: <laughs> Ooh. Are, you, are you doing all four of them
0: yes sir yep we are committed. We're, I of mean, <laughs> I don't even think that's the worst thing we've got, um, you know, <laughs> buried for later. We also have the Cats and Dogs franchise. There's all sorts of crazy stuff out there.
1: Wow. If you could, what spy gadget would you invent?
0: You know what? I've always dug, I mean, the Bond franchise goes to this well, but I've always loved the um, like the grappling cord um, that comes out of a watch, you know, the like grappling cable. I think anything like that would be so awesome. It just takes me back to, I was a huge fan of the 1989 um, Tim Burton Batman. And he had that awesome rappel cord. He would shoot out of the little hand gadget thing. If I could do that off a watch, I could die happy. I'd say, (laughs) well, if if we're
2: counting men in black films as uh, as spy films, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to invent the neuralizer.
0: Hmm
2: just so I can remove Men in Black 2 from my memory. <laughs> uh, and, and and maybe uh, several nights out in my life, probably get rid of those too. Um, but yeah, I think the Neuralizer would be a very good gadget to, uh, to have to hand. Oh, I, I, I didn't get my lunch today. Give it to me now. Oh, I need another lunch. Oh, my pizza never turned up. You haven't Your given p- me my, my paycheck this week, boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh and I quit I'm now a millionaire <laughs> yeah. yeah something like that the neuraliser would do me I think
1: you're right that's the perfect that's the perfect gadget because then you know you, you could use it on somebody and you could say uh, you know when you were a kid you could go I've had my dinner can I, can I have my pudding now I've, I have had my dinner you might have forgotten it
2: <laughs> yeah you could throw your vegetables in the bin and then you know neuralise
0: your mum be like I ate them all
1: I ate them all can I, can I have my apple pie now yeah can have the ice cream?
0: You could take that out on uh, Halloween night and go to the same house over and over again. It would be amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just keep going and going, trick or treat, have I seen you before? <laughs> no, no, you've not seen us before. Oh, we'll give you those sweets again. Now.
2: Just, just don't forget your sunglasses too, otherwise you might mess up a few
1: things. <laughs> absolutely. So what other podcast do you listen to, Cam? Mm, I listen to a
0: number of... Um, I listened to uh, the Slash Film Cast I referenced up front. I still have listened to that one for God, what is that like thirteen years now or something? I find that show is very well put together. It's a uh, film pop culture, so they do a lot of TV, mostly film centric though. Um, I listened to the franchise, which goes through franchises one after another. It's a little rougher around the edges than Spy Hards, but I find the uh, the, the hosts have a really good dynamic going. Um, I'm also a big Survivor fan, so I listen to a lot of Survivor podcasts. Um, uh, There's a show called Rob Has a Podcast where he interviews Survivors and does Survivor coverage. That is a weekly listen for me. So my tastes are very eclectic that kind of bounce all over the place, but those are three that jump to mind.
1: I'm guessing that Scott is also eclectic with his listening.
0: Hmm.
2: It's actually quite strange because... Before the coronavirus came along, I would say I listened to two, three, maybe four podcasts a day. Yep. I did I did a lot of exercise. I was exercising in the gym a lot. I did a lot of walking. Uh, I was out a lot, really. So I, I did digest a lot. And it's definitely gone down since um, since being locked in. And um, But I'd say the ones I've definitely stuck on to would be – I still listen to the Wade Keller uh, Pro Wrestling podcast – um, I listen to, I listen to subspace transmission. That's, uh, Cam's Star Trek podcast, uh, because they're friends of mine and I, I don't mind cams voice. Otherwise I wouldn't talk to him for two hours every week. <laughs> um, another couple of shout outs. There's actually some of your alumni, uh, from the show, Marv, um, so you've had spotlight on, yep. um, they're friends of ours. Um, they've been on our uh, podcast recently, actually covering men in black international of all films. Um, and they had a a good old time taking the mickey out of that one. (laughs) Um, and another one I've been, I've been sort of getting into recently is another alumni of yours. I'm not sure the episode's out yet, but, um, Adam and Craig's guilty pleasures. Yep. Yep. Um, me and Adam actually used to work together. Okay. Uh, we both used to work for Virgin active, which is a, a gym company here in the UK. Actually, I think it's international. I should say, um, and we worked together for about four years and we, we hadn't spoken and we both ended up starting our own podcast. It's just quite interesting that we both did it around the same time. Absolutely. Small world.
1: Uh, it is very small world, incredibly. Um, to, uh, to pull away the curtain a bit here, I'm actually chatting with Adam and Craig tomorrow.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, because
1: ah. I got a small bit of a chat with them when we did a group show together over christmas mm-hmm. about christmas was it about yeah we were talking about christmas films and pre show we got a few questions in uh, while we waited for another person to join us um so tomorrow we're actually finishing off and getting the questions asked and and all that tomorrow basically to to make the to make a full episode out of
2: yeah, it was quite interesting because I saw them pop up on my Instagram. I think that they started a few weeks after us, I think, yeah. and it was just like, "Hey, that's Adam from work. What's he? Oh, he's doing a podcast." And and you know, I I hadn't worked with him for about three years at that point. Um, and it's just it's just quite interesting. We've both been led down the same same path. We both do film podcasts. His is more sort of overall film, whereas we're you know spy only. Um, but yeah, I just think it's quite a quite lovely coincidence that.
1: Well, it'd be it'd be interesting if you could do a crossover, or you go on to their show and they come on to yours.
2: Oh, perhaps. it's in the works. It's in the mm-hmm. works.
1: Because I'm sure there's there must be some guilty pleasure, so we say, films that would fit into the spy genre.
2: I think um, he's a he's a he knows I'm a, a massive Star Trek fan as well we used to talk about star trek and wrestling when we were working together quite a lot and uh, so i think we're, we're planning on potentially doing a star trek film down the road
1: okay that's good hold on. oh yes louise is saying ha ha austin powers yes darling they are going into the austin powers films as well yeah there's a
0: few like austin powers mission impossible people keep asking us when are those coming when are those coming it's like They'll they'll arrive at some point, but we have to balance out our you know power hitter franchises here. We've got Bourne wrapping up pretty soon. We've got Bond like we've got some heavy hitters coming out of the gates, so we can't rush through all the greats right up front. It's a uh, it's an interesting uh, point
2: of discussion. But we had someone message us today. Um, just asking us, because we just, as I say, Condor Man is our episode this week, which is, you know, a Disney spy superhero film from 1981 that's sort of a cult following to it, but it is well-known, say, like the James Bond films. And they asked us, in earnest, you know, you you guys started off with quite high-profile films. Why have you moved on to these sort of more lesser-known projects? And I I, I sort of explained to, to the chap that ultimately... You can't just do the heavy hitters because you'll just,
0: as I think we said earlier in the episode, you'll, you'll just run out really quickly. It's also just not as much fun. I mean, Scott, we've had done some episodes on movies like Jumpin' Jack Flash or, well, Condor Man's another good example, or Men in Black International with Spock. Like, those episodes were so much fun. And I, I, I think it, honestly, for me, it has less to do with the movie than the discussion. But sometimes when you're dealing with these, you know, sacred gems of the genre, I mean it it kind of removes a little bit of the ambiguity of the conversation because you're like, well, clearly we have a masterpiece. Now let's talk about how it's a masterpiece for 2 hours. And uh, people uh, people do want to hear that.
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why they, you know, these episodes still get listened to afterwards. But, you know, if you look um if you look in Apple Podcasts and you search Condor Man, there aren't many podcasts that have covered Condor Man. Yep. So instantaneously if someone is looking that up will be the first ones
0: that pop to the front it's also impossible i find to predict what people want like i think i could sit here and try to engineer the show that every listener is going to want to hear and i would be wrong because there's been episodes you know i cited where eagles dare earlier but i mean when i picked the ipcris file i didn't really think that those would be popular and then the harry palmer episodes became very popular for this podcast so again you can't really predict exactly what people want so who knows right
1: yep you just reminded me that i meant to come back to something you, you mentioned where eagles dare so i'm guessing that you'll also be going into the what guns of navarone and then the force what number is it force 10 or force 9 from navarone is it
0: force 10 yeah force 10. um possibly i know i've got like raid on rommel on the list, which is a, another Richard Burton World War II film, um, I need to look closer at those guns of Navarone to see if they really fit, because um, I've seen both of them. Um, yep. You know, thinking about it, I think there is, especially with the sequel, there is probably a little bit of merit there. So possibly I would never rule it out if we can sit there and figure out an angle because we want to be able to explain to our listener why they belong because there's some people raise an eyebrow and go like, wait, why are you doing men in black or, you know, whatever other things in the future. But, um, you know, we have another franchise we've just planned to start that we're going to ha- you know have to give a little bit of background as to why we think it applies. So if I can make it work, yeah, for sure.
1: Oh yeah. Because I remember you having a joke, weren't you towards the, Every now and again, you'll come up with something and you'll say, oh, we'll we'll do a spin-off series of that and call it um, Something Hards or Something This or Something.
2: Horse Hards, coming to a podcast that near that, you. That
1: was the one. Films about yeah. horses. Horse Hards.
0: <laughs> We've launched a few of those because we had what, Pirate Hards. There, there's yep. been a few.
1: Pirate Hards, yep. Space Hards. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't had Party Hards yet. Mm, that's when we, yeah. uh, you know, pitch like Wayne's World. Ah,
1: yep. weekend at Bernie's excellent <laughs> party on
2: <laughs> someone got that reference thank you
1: <laughs> absolutely so what advice would you give to people starting in podcasting for the first time run <laughs> get Cam to don't, do
0: all the work <laughs> don't, don't quit your job <laughs> um, I, I would say what I would do I think my first recommendation would be A lot of people go, hey, I love talking about movies. I'm just going to talk about movies. And that's a big field you're dealing with. And I think you need an angle. Um, You know, we have a friend um, named Miles who runs the Disc dump podcast. And it is a general film, music, discussion podcast. But he has a hook in that he owns all these things on discs. And he wants to clear up space. Which discs do I keep? And so it's a little bit of a knock list type thing. You know, he'll talk about a subject, but then decide by the end of the episode, am I pitching this out or am I keeping it? And I think you want to have a hook like that. If you're going to go in because there's so many podcasts, same thing we looked at James Bond, the market is flooded, but there's not a lot of spy movie podcasts. I think you want to find a way to brand yourself that makes you seem very appealing to people who would enjoy the sorts of things you enjoy. And I,
2: I think the only thing I would really say is don't, no, I would say do it for the love of doing it and the passion of wanting to talk about something you're passionate about. Yeah. Because it's such a crowded landscape now that I, I unless you're very, very, very lucky, you're not going to hit straight away. Yeah you're not going to click you're going to get a few listens on your first episode so if you don't care about that and you're just doing it for the love it's fantastic but if you're expecting your first episode to get you know 400 500 listens on day one unless you're a you know uh, a celebrity it's just not going to happen
0: yeah and you're probably not going to get the joe rogan paycheck either (laughs) and that's actually another thing i'm glad you brought up scott that you have to love doing it because it's a time investment um you know scott as he says he sits and watches these movies twice well that can be up to what five hours of his week um depending on how long the movie is could be even longer it could be six hours if we do something that's three hours and Um, and i'll I'll just jump in on that cam but then you can jump back in but like yeah and not to mention like cam
2: and i have a, a pretty good split in terms of what we do with this podcast like cam is is the editor-in-chief he he cuts everything together he helps uh you know lay things out he's the audio guy he's my tech guru but in terms of social media day-to-day business that's that's me that's me on the keyboard and i'm the one answering and and tweets and, and retweeting stuff and DMing people and setting up guests and getting interviews most of the time, and so we, you know it—it it, it is a—it's not a job. I you know I do it voluntarily. I I really enjoy it, but it
0: is—it is work. Yep. Yeah, bang on. And also, if you don't enjoy doing that work, if you don't enjoy the process. You're not going to run the show week to week. You're going to get tired and burnt out. And then next or whatever your time schedule is, whether it's every two weeks or every week, you're not going to stick to the schedule. You're not you're just going to be like, okay, forget it. And then it's kind of like there it is a bit of a commitment and you have to be able to say, like, am I going to be able to meet these deadlines? Am I enjoying this process? And I think you'll know before you start, really, because you'll sit down and go, wow, this is, uh, you know, quite a few hours going into editing my first episode. Huh. Every week, huh? You know, if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to stick with it.
1: Absolutely. Anyway, where can people find your show and how can they get in touch with you?
0: We're very
2: fortunate in this, in, in that sort of sense because we are basically everywhere... Hmm. at Spy Hards. That's spyhards that's s p y h a r d s so that's facebook that's twitter that's instagram we're even on tiktok we're on youtube we're on basically every podcast app you can think of from you know acast to spreaker apple google spotify you just search for spyhards and that's where you'll find us
0: yep letterboxed as well and i mean also that's another actually good tip for people starting out Come up with a name for your podcast. You could secure social media handles for because that is also a great thing to have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's why you can find me anywhere at Pods Like Us.
0: Mm-hmm. We were it... genuinely shocked that Spyhards was free. So
1: yeah, absolutely. So I, I forgot to ask where did where did the name SpyHards come from then?
2: Um. <laughs> <laughs> when we decided on spy movies, we just yep. thought about like we, we we both came up with a couple of titles each, and I think the the two front runners were Spy Hards, which we yeah. inevitably went with, and the other one, which I now use in our intro, uh,
0: which is uh, for
2: your ears only.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yep. We also I remember kicking around um, Live and Let Spy. Um, I think wasn't okay, Scott. Didn't we also pitch? Uh, I think you pitched mission uh, Mission Impossible, and then that wound up being an actual real podcast that exists. It I think is. it came up
2: in the conversation, but yeah, then then the Impotable lads came along anyway, so it, it worked out really well. And they started basically the same week as us, so they're like our, our spy bros.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a bit like originally this show was going to be called Chatterpod, mm. uh, so it would have been a bit you know other other things might have come into it as well, but that was taken, and then. Uh Louise, my other half, actually came up with the name Pods Like Us, which is a pun on a possibly little-known Paul McCartney song, uh, and also a comedy spy film, Spies Like Us.
0: Yeah. Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and I found that that title wasn't taken, and I, I realised that it's actually the perfect title for what the show's all about, really.
2: And you also got the um there's uh, another podcast, uh, not before coffee, run by a good friend of the show, Ray, who was one of our first guests actually on our Mission Impossible Two episode, which is a great podcast. Oh, men in Black Two. Oh, sorry, Men in Black Two. We haven't done the Mission Impossible. So thank you, Cam. And um, there was already a not before coffee podcast. Okay. But it hadn't been there hadn't been a new episode for about three years, and so that she wanted to have that as her her title. And so she tried to message the owner and they never got back to her. So she waited until like the domain defaulted and she could get most of the social medias and eventually got all that sorted and then launched the podcast.
1: Hmm. Wow. wow.
0: She likes coffee.
1: Obviously <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can tell. Anyway, thank you both for talking with me.
0: Oh no. Thank you very much for having us. This was fun. Thank you. Thanks, very much. I appreciate you having us on.
1: Thank you Scott and thank you everybody for listening and I hope you listen again to another episode of Pods like us. think cam is the one who don't don't you also do a sci-fi show as well
0: Uh, i do a star trek podcast as well yes
1: yeah yeah. you you might have to be a returning guest i think cam (laughs) (laughs) louise says that's what she looks like before she puts makeup on (laughs) No, you don't. <laughs> Dear me.
2: I was waiting for you to jump in and defend it there. Exactly. That's the answer you're supposed to say.
1: That's right. Yep.
2: Of course you don't, darling.
1: Of course you don't. No. Softification, uh, you I'm looking forward to hearing what you both said about Condor, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no comment. I won't spoil it for anyone. <laughs> Scott's wearing the costume right now. <laughs>
1: Brilliant. Well at least you can find the costume easier than you can find the film.
0: <laughs> oh,
2: it, it is atrocious in this country to find it.
1: It really is. It so is.
2: It should be on Disney Plus. I don't really understand why it's not.
1: I mean it is Michael Crawford. He's like, you know, a British, you know, um national treasure. treasure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We should
2: um, uh... we probably don't treat him as well on the podcast, but uh <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, my only experience of him is this film.
1: Right, okay. Oh, right, oh. So you've not watched anything with him in before? Mind you, what, not, what, what's... Not what, knowingly.
2: What Some I mothers do happen. do happen.
1: Actually, that's all I can think of him from. Mm. I and can't think of anything stage else. musicals, which I've never seen him in, so... Yeah. Phantom of the Opera. Yeah.
2: He was the yeah. original Phantom of the Opera.
1: He was the original Phantom of the Opera, yeah. He was the original Phantom of the Opera, yeah. 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 You know, they can hear you on the other end. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Dear me. So, uh, so, so are you from the UK then, Scott, and Cam's from Canada, is it?
0: Correct. Yeah, that's correct, yeah.
1: So for, for Cam, it's uh, around tea time then, is it? Ten past five?
0: Uh, it's two o'clock here.
1: Oh, eight hours behind.
0: He's yeah. a he's a West Coaster,
1: right? He's a West Coast, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm in uh, Vancouver.
1: Okay, so it's the same for the clocks as you go across the uh, the time zones as you go across Canada. It is is as it, it is, is yeah. the US, right?
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're the like uh, it's basically the same as you know New York versus LA.
1: I need to remember what "knock" stands for as in the knock list, I think, or just get you to explain it perhaps at some point.
0: Sure, that we can be explain better. it. It's <laughs> yeah, probably easier.
2: Still... Yeah. <laughs> I, I still struggle. I get Cam to do it every time. It's fine.
1: Well, Cam sounds like he's a professional because he sounds like he's doing all sorts of podcasts.
0: <laughs> I just like to annoy people on the regular. As do
1: I. As do I. Right, let's see how we go, shall we? Okay. How was that? Have we, have we hit all the bases, or do you think there's anything that we need to touch on?
0: I think we got everything. I think Yeah, I, I don't think we missed out
2: on anything. It's, I, I never am a big fan of talking about myself for too long. I could do a little <laughs> bit. I could do a little bit quite easily, thanks. But, uh, yeah, I, I tend to be like... Eh. If you have questions, we'll answer them. But like, I don't. I that's why I don't like bigging myself up on social media. But um, so, if you think you've got everything, Marv, that's the important thing.
1: I think so. I think so. Um, I don't know whether you noticed, Scott, that I posted up a tune. Uh, I came up with a, an instrumental piece of music earlier on that was based because I was thinking about talking to you guys tonight. So I've come up with my own spy thriller um, instrumental theme tune.
2: I did see it. I, I saw it when I was out in my uh, my my gym, and I couldn't actually play it. So I'm going to actually listen to it after this, funnily enough. It's um, on my uh, list of things to do before bed.
1: And uh, just in case Cam hasn't seen it, it's called uh, "The Spy Who Came In for a Coffee." <laughs> <laughs> so yes.
2: So if you is that because um, I saw? It, yeah, I can see it on here now. There's actually two posts. Oh no, one's a uh, one's music, one's not. Um, okay. Is that all you doing it through like electronically, or have you actually playing instruments on it?
1: I'm playing the guitars and keyboards and congas and maracas, and everything else is programmed. On
2: there, it's like the opposite of our intro. Basically, it's all digital. Right. I, sh- I should just I should do a line for us someday. I sh- I've got many guitars. I should use them for something.
1: Yeah. Uh, Which one was the Bond film where they had a... Was it Die Another Day? They had a really good introduction to it pre pre credit, and then it was rubbish afterwards.
0: That's the world. is not enough. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's uh, the world that's well, not I don't
0: know. It could be Die Another Day. I think it probably applies.
1: The one huh. where he's the one where he's captured.
0: Oh no, that's that's Die Another Day. That's Die Another.
1: That's Die Day. Another Day. Really good, really good, really good pre credit sequence.
2: And then he's got like everyone's down locked down. Look film. at the end with the beard yeah. in the hair. He yes,
1: can't. he has. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lockdown, uh, over 20 years before it happened. Yeah. yeah,
2: exactly. I wish I still had my hair.
1: So do I. <laughs> um, I'm
2: going to jet though cause I think I'm probably going to get to bed unless we're going to go record this. So, uh, Marv, thank you for having us on.
1: Thank you very much, and I'm going. I've already added uh, Cam's other show to my list of shows to check out. Oh, thanks so huge, much! I'm a huge Trek fan.
2: <laughs> I, I just, I, funnily enough, this this joke won't land. I don't think for Cam, but Marv, you'll get it. I was out walking the dog today, and I had a really good idea for a, a Star Trek rewatch show. Okay. Um, so it's just it's just TOS. Yep. Uh, and so I called it Tossers. <laughs> See? Yes, that, I the, get that. The joke lands on British people, but it won't land anywhere else.
1: Not <laughs> no 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 br-
0: no British no. Columbians. That's true. That's true. But, <laughs> that's, true. but,
1: but that's why uh, Joss Whedon could get away with British uh, swear words in American television shows.
2: Hmm. He got away with a lot of things, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> unfortunately, yes. Yeah, mm. Dear me
2: um so i don't think cam's taking me up on my tosses uh, tossers pitch there so <laughs> blanks I think, there I think i'm out of luck there just you've got a blaylock face on
1: <laughs> brilliant. Um, brilliant um
2: right yeah i'm gonna jet then do you need i mean we did i didn't record backup audio for this so i assume you didn't need anything you're happy with zoom
1: i am happy um, yeah. with zoom so w- as it's got everything yeah
2: i would recommend checking out zencaster if you get a chance. I just I always yeah. rave about it to people. It's free, absolutely, yeah. And it, I, I we we started off with Zoom, and I find Zencaster has is, is, is greatly improved our audio quality.
1: Is is there no time limit to Zencaster then for the free? Mm-hmm. No,
2: nope. nope. Wow. And uh, it, it you know you get separate tracks, and it, it it just felt a lot cleaner.
1: Yeah, I get separate tracks on this actually on Zoom.
2: I mean Cam is the edit guy so he, he he probably knows why it's better than this so I I don't know. Yeah. I, I I just always recommend it to people and they don't pay me so
1: <laughs> no I I often you get people to do their own tracks local on their own computers and then send them but I forgot I forgot today to ask you to do that but <laughs> should be okay
2: it's it's probably fine it's just uh, we we generally get people to do backups but uh, you know whatever it whatever will be will be uh, but I'm going to go to So I'm going to jump off the call.
1: All right. Thank you very much. Well, thanks a lot. All right. Thank you, Cam. Thank you, Scott. Take care. Okay. Take it. it easy,
2: buddy. Bye, bye.